Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachmim, Father of mercies, Father, we worship you and we adore you. We thank you for this holy Shabbat that you've given us as a time to gather together as Mishpacha's family to worship before you and to hear from you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it be your voice heard, your words uh, received, Father, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, we thank you for everything you have in store, and we look forward to hearing from you today. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. Amen. Uh, if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 23. This week we are in Parsha Chaye Sarah, uh, which is the life of Sarah. Um, I, I love that this Parsha is named Chaye Sarah due to the first verse, but then the whole rest of the Parsha deals absolutely nothing with Sarah because she's dead and gone and it moves on to her son. Um, so it's really interesting to me that the life of Sarah has nothing to do with Sarah's life, but instead that which she leaves behind in the life of her son. Um, that, I, I think, is, is an extremely important realization as we look at this week's Parsha. Um, the, the thing I want to hone in on today, and, um, and I hope that, uh, that we all take a little something away from this, the thing I want to hone in on today is the reality that our lives are not our own. Um, I think far too often, especially in the modern world that we live in, we have this notion that uh, our life, let live uh, and be, right? Let each person do what they want to do. Um, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm looking out for my own. I think about people that I know who uh, will remain nameless, that mortgage themselves to the hilt, that uh, are only concerned with what the world thinks about them, whether they drive the right cars or they have the right stuff or people are impressed enough with their character and who they are, or uh, the, those, uh, I know a lot of um, people in the academic world, they kind of have the same mentality. They, they have to prove that they're smarter than everyone else. And I don't know that that's necessarily their intention, but that's the way a lot of times this stuff comes across. And I think the, the, the beauty of the reality of the Word of God and the beauty of the reality of who we are in God is that our lives are not our own. Our lives are not about us. Our lives are not about what we have in store or what we have created or what we have been able to buy or procure or whatever else. And when I look at this Parsha, and I see that the life of Sarah was that which she left behind, the life of her son, um, it's a powerful statement. But then we look at things like, as we move through chapter 23 of Genesis, verse 3. This is right after Sarah dies. Verse 3 says, Then Abraham rose from before his dead one and spoke to the sons of Het, saying, I am an outsider and a sojourner among you. Give me a gravesite among you so that I may bury my dead from before my presence. So he sits here and he tells these people he's been living among, right? And he's in the land that God has promised to him, the land that he's able to live in, but he's yet to see the fulfillment of the promise. He's yet to experience the land being his and his children's and his children's children as God has promised, but instead he is living as a foreigner. And so he sits here and he talks to this nation that he's lived among, this nation that has looked up to him, these people that have used him to go to war for them, these people that have relied on him and his wisdom uh, and the people uh, in the midst of whom he he has grown not only as a person, but his household, his wealth, and everything that he has has grown since he's been here. And he looks at them and says, I am an outsider and a sojourner among you. 
He's living in the very land that God has promised to him, the land that is, in fact, his eternally. But he looks to the people that he's dealing with and says, I am a foreigner, an outsider, a sojourner among you. And then verse 5 continues, The sons of Het answered Abraham, saying to him, Listen to us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury None among us will withhold his grave from, from you to bury your dead one. He responds to them. He tells them, I am a sojourner among you. And they respond to him and say, you are a prince of God among us. In other words, the identity that they see in Abraham. And we talked about this last week looking at the intimacy of Abraham and Adonai. But the identity that the people, the sons of Chet, the people that he's living among here in Hebron, uh, the identity that they see of Abraham is not founded in who Abraham is but in who Abraham serves. And then as we move through this portion, we see that Abraham has his son Isaac, who is a growing man. I mean, we know last week in the Akedah that, Abraham, that Isaac, uh, at the time of the binding, was somewhere between uh, early 20s and early 30s. He was not a young boy like the, the uh, color your own Bible likes to, to picture it or whatever. You know, these little happy-go-lucky Sunday school story mentality. He was not a young child. This wasn't some horrific event in his life, but instead a test of his own faith as much of that as his father. And so we see this whole narrative, this whole account uh, building up. And so here we are this week after that event, after that whole thing's going on, Isaac is growing, he is, he is getting older, and Abraham realizes in chapter 24, Abraham realizes that he's getting older, that Isaac's getting older, and that God promised children through Isaac, so it's probably about time Isaac gets rolling on that one. And uh, so he tells him in verse, chapter 24, verse 1, says, Now Abraham was old, advanced in years, and Adonai blessed Abraham in everything. Then Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who managed everything that belonged to him. Now keep in mind, this is really important here. This is the servant that had Isaac never come along, or had Isaac never had children, everything that Abraham owns would go to him. So now you've got a servant who is going above and beyond because, look, reality, if it was all about us, like we like to think in the Western world, if it's all about us, let's off Isaac. It's easier that way, right? Everything's mine. I'm suddenly rich. Why wait around? But here's this, this most trusted servant of, of Abraham. It says, now put your, verse, uh, verse 2 towards the end, now put your hand under my thigh so that I may make you take an oath by Adonai, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. Verse 5, but the servant said to him, suppose the woman, uh, the, the woman were unwilling to follow after me to this land. Should I then have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not return my son there. Adonai, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land and who spoke to me and made a pledge to me saying, to your seed I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. If the woman is not willing to follow after you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Nevertheless, you must not return my son there. And the reason he didn't want Isaac to go back to uh, where his family is from isn't because there's anything about that land that's miserable or being around his family or anything, but instead the promises of God that are in, in his, uh, that are innately his, the promises that God made to Abraham that are being made to Isaac, that are going to be made to Jacob and ultimately to the children of Israel, those promises are rooted in Eretz Israel in the promised land. At this time, the land of Canaan, the land in which Abraham now resides, the land in which he has now buried his wife, and the land in which he will be buried and his sons and his sons' sons will be buried. 
The promises of Adonai that are Abraham's and that are Isaac's are promises rooted in the connection to the land that God is giving them, the holy land. And, it, and it's not just that the land is special. I mean, it's just a pile of dirt like anywhere else. Um, it's not that the land itself is special, but it's that it is the very land that God has chosen for his presence to dwell. It is the very land that God has chosen for his name to be written upon. And so there's a connection to the presence of God that is rooted in this land. And the, the realities of that is that the promises, the blessings that are given to Abraham are connected to the presence of God. And so Abraham is sitting here realizing as all of this is going on, he stands before the, the people that he lives among and he says, look, I'm a sojourner among you. I don't belong here. I'm not one of you. But if I found any favor at all, give me a place to live. Give me a place to bury my, my, my wife, my loved one. And they turn to him and say, but look, you're like a prince of God among us. You are a shaliach, a sent one of God among us. And then Abraham realizes, wait, I can't let my kid take a, a, a spouse from here because these people don't yet recognize who God is. And ultimately, these are the people that my children's children's children will snatch this land away from. So I can't let him take a wife from here, but instead he's got to go back to our homeland and take a wife from our family, our distant family. And he goes, uh, sends his servant to go find one, but he makes it a point to say, do not bring my son back there. No matter what, either a woman comes here or you're out of, off the hook with this and it doesn't matter. But Abraham realizes that his identity, who he is, the, the, the story he leaves behind to impact people's lives is not rooted in who he is or what he's acquired, but instead in whom he resides, which is the presence of the Lord. And the same goes for Isaac, and the same ultimately will go for Jacob, and the same should go for each of the children of Israel from then on. And I think this is an important message for us to understand, especially in the world that we live in today. The world that we live in today that is so rooted in, in having to get the best of everything. And look, anybody that knows me knows I am a gadget guy. I'm not going to say I'm necessarily a techie, but I'm a gadget guy. Like, I like to have the toys. Um, you know, when I, when I was younger, I had all kinds of little Hot Wheels cars and all this kind of crap. My toys have just gotten more expensive since then. Um, and so I like having the next best thing. I like having whatever's coming out new. And sometimes that's to a fault. And at other times, I'm just exuberant about it and could care less what the fault is that goes with it. But the reality is, is we've got to understand that even though we chase after these things that we like, what we like here on earth is not where our identity is found. Who we are here on earth and what we're here to do is not rooted in the stuff that we acquire or the land that we own or the cars that we drive or the people that we keep uh, community fellowship with, friendship with, but instead in what God has put us here for. And if we're going to do what God has put us here for, it is of the utmost importance that we take care to align ourselves with people who are like-minded and like-spirited, who have the same call and desire and burning heart to serve the Lord above all else, to make sure that everything that we do is rooted in people looking at us and not seeing the world, not seeing them, but instead seeing God among us. And I think a lot of times, especially in the Western mentality, especially in America, a lot of times we want people to see the facade we put on. And because of that facade, we actually block what the Lord wants to do through us. And so when we tell people we're a sojourner or a foreigner among them, they look at us and go, no, you're not. You look just like me. You act just like me. You speak just like me. You think just like me. And what the Lord has called his people since the very foundations of time and creation itself, what he has always called us to be is set apart righteous and holy, to be different. And I know that we don't like that term. We don't like to be different. We don't like to be exclusive. We don't like to, to, to seem like we stand out. 
But what God has called us to do is exactly that. And not for our own sake, but for his and for his name's sake. That people see him in us. That they see that there is something different. That they see there is something more to who we are than just being some slave to society trying to mimic all the other robots and sheeple walking around. But instead that we are led by the power and the presence of the living God of all creation who loves us more than any of us could ever. Open up real quick to Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, far too often people look at us and they see the world. They see someone who is conformed to the world. Because we are allowing the filth and the despair and the the disgust of the world to, uh, uh, in essence, put a shade over the light of Messiah that should be within us. We're shutting down the work of the Lord in our lives because we want people to see us for someone they can like, as opposed to someone they have to or should be aspiring to be like. We want the world to see what we want them to see as opposed to what God wants them to see in us. And so what Paul is saying here in Romans 12 is to not conform to the world around us, but instead to stand out, to be righteous and holy so that people will see God in us, so that they will see something different in our lives, something that draws them to the presence of God. Because if all they see when they see you and I is they see an average Joe Schmo walking down the street and nothing about us stands out, then we are not truly a disciple of Messiah. We have more discipling necessary. Now, we all still do no matter what. But there's a lot more that's needed if if they're seeing the old man or they're seeing the current man that is of the world, but they're not seeing the man that is rooted in Messiah. Then we are not truly the disciples of Messiah that we're supposed to be. We are not truly rooted in him. If people do not look at us and say, you're a prince of God among us. You're a child of God among us. You're a son or daughter of God among us. And I want to know what it is that you're doing, how it is that you're building this relationship with God. I want to know what it is that your life, that makes your life so much different than mine because I want that. See, the world around us is lost and hopeless. I know we don't like to, to, to say it that way either because we don't want to make people feel odd. But the world around us is lost and hopeless. And the problem is, is that we have the hope. We have found the hope. And we're supposed to bring the hope to the world around us but we're too busy hoarding it and trying to make them like us that we forget that there's something more to what we're supposed to be doing, that we forget that we're supposed to share the hope with them, that we forget that we actually have the power of God that is capable of changing lives in ways that they could never imagine, in ways that you and I can never imagine. See, Yeshua said that when the Comforter comes, when the Ruach HaKodesh comes, that we would be able to do even greater things than he did. But the body of Messiah has failed on that. For the better part of 2,000 years, we have failed at following through with that promise from God. We've spent so much time being divided, being out of unity, being broken apart, infighting, trying to harm each other, trying to make the world accept us and like us, trying to be, quote-unquote, seeker-friendly, that we forget that the gospel 
causes offense to sin in our lives. And if the gospel that we preach, if the gospel that we share, if the gospel we live out is not causing offense to sin in people's lives, it's probably not actually the gospel. We should probably realign ourselves so that we can be viewed as princes, as sons and daughters of the God Most High, as a shaliach, a sent one from the Lord. We go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 14, this particular passage of Scripture, Yeshua is pouring his heart out in prayer for his disciples. He is crying out for us to be one with God. Not just people who worship God once a week or or twice a week, not just people who get together and sing together, but people who are truly and wholly and completely echad, one with God. And here in verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This single passage of Scripture, anybody heard the, the, the cliched phrase, in the world but not of the world? That's where this cliched phrase comes from, is the idea is being spoken here in John 17. And if you pay attention to the words, it's so much more than in the world but not of the world. Because what Yeshua is crying out for us is that we will be like Him, that we will be shaliach, we will be sent ones. Yeshua said, you have sent me into the world and likewise I have sent them into the world. He is crying out for us to be one with the Father, just as He is one with the Father. He's crying out for us to be so much more than the average everyday Joshmo believer whose mode of faith is merely fire insurance. He's calling us to impact the world around us. And like I've said before, this isn't about preaching the word, this is about living the word. This is about living an example of Messiah that is so pervasive in our life that God has completely overcome us and that every step we take, every move that we make, every word that we speak, every thought that we have is in single unity with the Lord so that people see us and the first thing they see is Him. Most of you know that I worked for years in restaurants and one of the things I loved the most and fought against getting big-headed about. But one of the things I loved the most was when I would go over to somebody's table and they'd, you know, because I always have a keep on and, and I've had a beard for years and, uh, and I wear a seat seat, although when I was in restaurants, I tucked it in so they wouldn't flop in people's food and get all nasty. Um, but, but the reality is, is I loved when I would go up to talk to somebody and it was almost always somebody else's table and they asked me to come over there and I'd go to talk to them. And, and the conversation would go something like this. So are you Orthodox. Say, no, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually a Messianic Jewish rabbi. I lead a Messianic synagogue. Messianic, what's Messianic mean? I explain it to them. They go, see, I knew there was something different about you. I could sense that there was something different about you. And the reality is, is every interaction we have with every single person we come into contact with on the face of this planet, they should see that there's something different about us. They should sense 
that there's something different. They should look at us as we cry out in, in the way we live our life, not in our words, but in the way that we live our life, that we are foreigners and sojourners living among these people. See, our, our, our citizenship is not here. I mean, yes, most of us are American citizens. Uh, some may have dual citizenship somewhere else. Some may be here visiting from other countries. I don't know. But we are all citizens, theoretically, of something here on earth. But our eternal citizenship is not here. Our eternal citizenship is in heaven. We are set apart righteous and holy and supposed to be different than the world around us. So when we cry out that we are sojourners and foreigners living among you, they should look at us and instantly go, no, no, it's cool. I can sense there's something different. I can see there's something different about you. You're a prince of God among us. You're a shaliach, a sent one of God among us. We should be living our lives by the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, in such a way that people's lives are impacted just because they came into contact with us. A lot of us can debate and we can argue and we can, we can present scripture and theological standpoints and, and we, can, we can put out all kinds of apologetic reasoning for why we believe this or that or the other. But the reality is, is how often when we do those things are we trying to talk ourselves into what we supposedly believe? But if we believe it in such a way that it overcomes us, we don't, have to, we don't have to try and justify it or defend it or apologize for it. We live it in such a way that people see it instantly. And much like Abraham where the world did not see one of them but instead one of God, they should see us and see one of God. And there's something even greater about us than Abraham. Abraham was one of the most righteous men that ever lived, but there's still something greater about us than there was of Abraham because we have the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. It is not a theoretical, uh, prophetic future reality for our descendants. It is something we can grab hold of and take hold of now and today. We have the presence of God in the Ruach HaKodesh residing within us. The light of Messiah shines forth from our lives and people should see it. We talked last week about the intimacy of Abraham and Adonai and we talked about the realities of the importance of our intimacy and needing to step up our intimacy with the Lord and, and I don't know, every once in a while actually be on our faces before him. Gather together in prayer. We talked about our, our, our new prayer initiative as a congregation gathering together weekly for that particular distinct purpose. And that in most congregations and most ministries, prayer is the one thing you can't get people to show up for. You can get people to be there for anything except that. The one thing that as believers we fail at quite often is intimacy with the Lord. It's all cool to know what we believe and it's good to be able to quote scripture. It's even great to be in scripture every day. But if being in scripture every day isn't paired with intimacy... My wife and I, our marriage would not survive if we did not communicate on a daily basis. And I can tell you right now, I'm a guy. I am miserable at communication. She makes up the slack for us. But if we did not communicate every day on a regular basis, and her knowing I'm, I'm ADD in a really bad way, if she didn't every once in a while in a conversation go, hey, hey, hey come back in. Did, did you hear what I just said? We were talking last night, we were watching TV and she said something and we were talking about getting the kids uh, Hanukkah Menorot, the, the menorahs for Hanukkah, so they each have their own little, and we thought, oh, we, could, we should make one for them. And she 
went through this whole spiel of telling me about how he could use my Dremel tool to make him a menorah and all this and, um, and so on. And the last thing she said was something about the Dremel tool. And I have no clue what was said before that, but I heard Dremel tool and my brain jumped on board and went, hey, you know, we could use my Dremel and we could make menorahs for them. She went, what do you think I just said? It's like, I don't know. What did you just say? I didn't hear you. I heard Dremel and that's where I came back in the conversation. I was lost in there somewhere. I don't know. But, but if it wasn't for the fact that, that she draws me in every once in a while, but there's this desire, this intentional communication. There's this intentional drive for that, that intimacy that, that goes beyond just physical intimacy. Look, I mean, we're talking about a marriage here. We'll be honest. It goes beyond physical intimacy. It goes into an emotional intimacy. It goes into a true connection. And you've got to remember throughout Scripture, the reality is that God used the marriage covenant as an example of our relationship with Him over and over and over again. When Yeshua said, uh, uh, wives, uh, obey your husbands, or however it's worded, listen to your husbands, respect your husbands, depending on what translation and what dogmatic slant you want to take on it. But he said, said lives, uh, honor your husbands, and husbands... Love your wife like Messiah loved the body. We like to beat up on that wives honor, obey, respect your husband fact, but we always forget about the fact that the husbands have it far harder. Because if we don't love them the way that Messiah loved us, in other words, literally being able, being willing to put our lives down for them, then they have no reason to respect or to honor or to, uh, to, to obey, to listen, to hang on to, to cleave to. And see, we got to understand that that's an image of our relationship with our Father. It's a marriage relationship, a marriage covenant. And there's an intimacy that's required there. But, but more than that, in a marriage, you know, we, we uh, in Western culture, wear a wedding ring. And I, I'm sure other cultures may as well. And, and today, I think just about everybody does because of marketing. But we wear wedding rings so that people will see those wedding rings and know that we're married, so that we will see them and be reminded that we're married. Um, uh, but the, the reality is, is we wear stuff to make us remember this all the time and so that others will see it and they won't be, be standoffish or, or they won't try and, and come up and, and, and hopefully try not to come up and flirt with us and talk to us and try and, and lead us astray and lure us astray. Our wedding ring with our, our Lord is the presence of God within us. It's the light of Messiah. It's the blood atonement of Messiah. And just like people seeing a wedding ring they should even more so, they should see the presence of God within us. And they should see that we are sent by Messiah to share the light of Messiah with them. They should see that we are different. We are set apart, righteous, and holy. We are foreigners and sojourners in their midst because we don't belong here. We belong in the heavenlies. We're hanging out here for a little while. We're buying our time. We're taking up space. But what God's left us here for at this point in time is to impact others so that we're not the only ones taking up space in heaven. So that others are made righteous and holy because of what God has done in us and the way it impacts their lives. We get so hung up on wanting to, to fit in, on wanting to be liked. Anybody that's had a conversation with me for any length of time knows that being liked isn't what I'm typically aiming for. If people survive me and still like me, it's a whole other beast. But, but the reality is, is we have to understand that that's the way we're supposed to act with the world. 
And I don't mean we're supposed to push them away, but we're not to make them like us. Instead, we're to make them want to be like us. Our lives should model and, and personify the presence of the Lord in such a way that they want what we have. And I can tell you that for the most part, for the last 2,000 years, we as the body of Messiah have failed miserably at fulfilling that calling. Miserably. Instead of living an example that people want to be like, the body of Messiah tried to force people through governmental influence to have faith in Messiah. We've tried to legislate our version of morality based on the scripture. We've tried to legislate it. We've tried to do all these kinds of things, forcing what we think and believe on others as opposed to living our lives in a way that they want to know and understand who we are because they realize we are different. Yao joked earlier this morning about being extraterrestrial. But the reality is we, in a way, are. We are not of this world. We're stuck here for a little while, but we're not of this world. And our time here is coming to a close. Our time here is coming to a close. And the question is, when we stand before the throne of God, and he looks at that chart that describes our life, are we going to be people that he goes, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or are we going to be people that he looks at and goes, get away from me, I've never known you. Are we going to be people that he goes, you live for me. People's lives were changed because of you for me. People found me because of you. Or are we going to be people that he looks at and goes, you wasted everything I gave you. Are we going to be the guy that buried the talent in the ground and said, look, I know what you're like. Or are we going to be the guy that took what God gave us. We're going to run out and get every ounce of return we possibly can for it. It's time that we accept that we are shaliach, that we are sent out ones. We are different. We are to be righteous and holy. And the light of Messiah is to shine from us and impact the lives of those around us. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we don't understand why you've allowed each and every one of us to be a part of the work that you are doing. We don't understand why you have allowed us to be the example of the work of Messiah. But Father, we are so thankful for the blood atonement of Messiah. We are so thankful for the work that you have done in our lives. And Father, I pray right now that each and every one of us in this room will have an even more fervent burden on our hearts to share the truth, the light, and the knowledge of Messiah and your salvational work through your only Son with every single person we come into contact with, first with our lives and the way we live and what they see in us, followed by our words. Father, let our words play catch up to what you are doing and modeling us in the image and likeness of our King. Father, we thank you for everything you have done. We thank you for the beauty of your word drawing us back to your presence over and over again. And Father, we lay our lives down for you and ask you, God, to make us more and more worthy of your love, of your adoration of the salvation you have given us. Because, Father, there's nothing we love more than you. There's nothing we desire more than to give you all our praise and our honor, not just in our words, but in our, our actions, our thoughts, and our deeds. 
B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen.